With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. Once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge. So many amazing worlds to discover. I want a new palace, said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Will, will you marry me? He asked. And with little hesitation, she said, <laughs> Yes! 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. My father must not go to war. Someone must take his place. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3, wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm Lai Ming. Coming up on today's show, online literature has been a popular form of pastime for Chinese readers in the past two decades. It has also spawned new business models that are changing people's lives both in and outside of China. We talk about findings from a latest report on the development of online literature around the world. And the footage of a girl mimicking what she thinks are ridiculous or deplorable behaviors of the male gender has encouraged more copycat stunts. For sure, men and women don't always share the same views on many things. What's the best way to get the two genders on the same page? There's always a slot for your input on Roundtable. You can share your views about the topics and the show or point the way to issues worthy of our discussion. Reach out to us by writing to us at ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com or find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. Now on Roundtable, at the China International Online Literature Week held in Hangzhou in late May 2023, a new report sheds some light on the development of online literature, especially in Asia. I was there in Hangzhou covering the event and had the chance to speak to authors, business insiders and scholars. There's plenty of stuff to share from personal observation, but I'm not the only person at the table today. Uh, for this discussion, I'm joined by Fei Fei in the studio and Joshua Cotterell on the line. And let's have Fei Fei tell us a bit more about online literature. How does it work? What is online literature? Well, we can understand online literature quite literally because it's, it's basically, you know, literature online that I think in the initial stage, most of the um, works or literature or not, most of them are novels, are were published on some sort of a website or online forum. And then the readers can click on the link and start reading it. And of course, most of the time, the readers can leave comments to directly tell the writers what do they think of the storyline and what do they think about the overall picture that the novels or the story sounds like and what their suggestions are. And so that the authors or readers, I think, in some way, are communicating directly instead of, you know, when we are reading off the paperback, it's mostly just the readers are sort of getting information from the writers without really be able to communicate writers unless there is some sort of an event mm-hmm. or meeting event to, to be held between the writers and the readers. And then I think now gradually with 
more platforms and technology developed, we now also have other platforms, for example, on our mobile phones. Um, there are also apps that we can read these works online. And also with the popularity of this online literature, some of them have also been published. For example, I think the Twilight Saga was first published online on some sort of a website. And then with the popularity, it then got contacted by an agent or a publishing house and then got published so that it can reach to a more wider readership. And this is normally how online literature developed in modern days around the world, I would say. Mm -hmm. So here in China, we've seen in the past two decades, the development of online literature, even though uh, if you asked an expert or a real literary people who's focused on writing books and getting them published, they might disagree with the use of the term literature. But well, of course, how do we define online literature or do they qualify as somebody who's involved in this business? I mean, that's something we can come back to later on in the discussion. Now, Josh, I have a question for you. Like Fei-Fei said earlier, yes. even uh, books like The Twilight Saga uh, had a rather humble beginning on the over the internet. So I meant to ask you, was there anything like online literature that we've seen here in China that you have in the UK? But apparently there might be some form of online literature where you come from. So I guess the adapted question would be, what is the uh, popular form of reading in the UK? And in what spot or I mean, in what to what extent is online literature a thing in the UK? Sure. Well, there's some research by YouGov UK, which is one of the biggest um, polling and, and research bodies in the UK. And they found that, first of all, I'll tell you how many Britons actually read in general, and then we'll go to the online stuff. So apparently two in five Britons say that they read for pleasure at least once a week. Um, this was according to a poll in 2020. Um, so that's two in five. And with a third of them doing so multiple times and 90% of UK adults reading every day. Day. Now, what actually constitutes reading? How many of these people are answering truthfully, given how often I think people exaggerate how much they, they read? I'm, I'm not so sure if these stats are so reliable, but there we go. These are the most, the clearest ones I can find. And then on the back of that, um, research has also found that one in five Brits, so if two in five Brits um, say that they read for pleasure, one in five Brits reads a book on a screen or e-reader. And then we have to talk about whether that constitutes online literature, because as you mentioned, there are certain types of literature online, like e-literature, I've heard this terminology before, like electronic literature, which can include things like hypertext fiction and animated poetry. So this is also called kinetic poetry. It's like there'll be animations alongside the literature and poetry. And as you said, you can even comment on the side and give the author feedback. So. I mean, does an e-reader or like a Kindle, which is very popular in the UK, does that constitute online literature or does it have to be interactive in some way? So it's actually quite tricky to find stats that cover all of this very accurately. But in short, two in five people in the UK read for pleasure and one in five. So about half of those people that are reading are reading online in some way. So give us a context. I mean, how many people are there in the UK? So we know that one in five would... Uh, arrive at a certain amount. Mm, yeah, so there's 64, over 64 million people in the United Kingdom. Uh, my mathematics isn't fantastic, but if two in five are 43%, it's 13. we can round it up to, I don't know, about 
28 uh, million? 26. 26. Two in five is 26, and one in five is, will be 13. I mean, that's... Well, Thank that's, you. That's, uh, well, how would I put it? I mean, that's But I something. must say that we're talking about adults here, so it's definitely not that number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. So uh, given the size of the market, I mean, and also given the rapid development of the internet and also mobile phones, it's only natural for us to see the prospect and the potential in online literature. And it's also uh, natural for us to see why certain companies are looking to expand the business model of online literature to overseas markets, because obviously there are more people out there than in China, even though it is a populous country to begin with. Now let's look at the report on the communication of China online literature in Asia. Why does this report target Asia specifically? Well, I think first of all, uh, the online literature in China at least, the, the cultures, the values, and the philosophy or the history background they draw upon can mostly be resonated with most of the audience in Asia. Especially, I think, according to the figures in Southeast Asia or even Southern Asian countries like India. Mm -hmm. That's because we don't really have to explain too much about some really basic or common sense concepts in these literature. For example, a lot there is a quite big of Chinese community in a lot of the Southeast Asian countries, and they don't they also can read Chinese. Some of them are in traditional Chinese, some of them can read simplified Chinese, so they don't have to rely on translation of these Chinese online literature works, and that makes things much easier for you know readers outside of these communities for example in the united states i think they have this website called the wuxia world where they translated a lot of these chinese works into english mm -hmm. and they also have to set up a sort of encyclopedia to explain to the readers what certain things or what certain concepts referred in these novels or stories mean so that the visitors can understand more about the storyline. And I think that really required a lot of efforts from the reader side. And frankly, for a lot of people who only are reading for pleasure, I don't think they can, you know, if, unless they really, really, really love the story. Otherwise, they won't be able to spend a lot of time and energy into understanding a completely different set of values and histories. So then here is why a lot of now companies in the online literature market in China is targeting Asian countries for their primary targets, I think. And is because, of course, these audience are easier to reach and the cultures, we can sort of resonate with each other very easily. And of course, it's easier for them to do the marketing. And also you sometimes can laid back a little bit on the translation. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, some of the online literature are now being adapted into, for example, movies or TV series. And a lot of the actresses and actors in those TV series and movies are quite familiar for, you know, people around Asia. So it really makes a lot of sense for these companies to want to penetrate more into the Asian market and also why 
the Chinese online literature is gaining a lot of popularity in Asia. China, of course, is a part of Asia. But for this discussion, let's let's take China out of the context. So we refer to Asia, the term, as uh, the part of the region without China, meaning Southeast Asia, South Asia, Northeast Asia, and even Central Asia. So the region now without China in the equation. So by the end of 2022, China has ex- exported more than 16,000 online literature works overseas, and the overseas market of China's online literature works exceeded 3 billion yuan. Still not quite there in comparison with the domestic market, but we can see this tremendous potential, especially in Asia, which accounts for about 55% of the global markets, among which Southeast Asia is the market where the communication of Chinese online literature is the best, accounting for 38% of overseas communication. So the geographic proximity and the cultural affinity uh, between China and Asia, again, using Asia in this particular context, is, is something to account for to explain the popularity of online literature in this region. And Josh, what types of stories do you think are attractive to the British readers? Because according to this latest report, like Fefe said earlier, the Asian readers are obviously attracted to something with uh, the cultural context that they share with the Chinese readers. And there's also the uh, the more modern genres like uh, just more like a bossy character that's also quite affectionate with the female character, that sort of thing. And perhaps the female readers might uh, go in for the romantic stories. Josh, in your opinion, what would be the most attractive stories to a British audience should they choose to read something from China in terms of online literature? Well, the most popular form of literature, I think, worldwide and in the UK definitely is romance, romance novels. And it's pretty obvious if you just look at some of the classics. Classics is also up there in the UK as some of the most read ones. And some of the most famous books that I'm sure you guys know from the from British literature include things like Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, which has been mm-hmm. adapted into so many films and TV series. And also Wuthering Heights, Emily Bronte, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, all the Bronte sisters, Atonement, um, and things like this. Even books like 1984 by George Orwell. Of course, dystopian fiction is very popular, but there's also an element of romance, I think, that goes through these novels as well, some of my favorite ones. So romance in British literature is really, really dominant. Mm-hmm. Let's also look at the uh, the form of communication of Chinese literature in overseas markets. According to the latest report that we've been uh, referring to, apparently every four out of 10 online literature works being read by overseas readers is in the form of hard copy books, uh, meaning they've been published, they've been translated, uh, and readers are buying paper books. But even more so in recent years, we are seeing the prevalence of online reading. And it seems that the business insiders who are keen on introducing the business model is also seizing the opportunity and promoting this new business model. And there are evolutions in this regard as well, right, Fei-Fei? Yes, exactly. Like we mentioned before, like for a lot of online literature, Mm -hmm. um, especially in the earlier days, they are sort of 
published while the writer is still writing it.、Mm. So sometimes I think I remember I sort of followed some stories, and the writer updated several chapters at one go. And I finished those chapters. People would leave comments telling the authors how they love the story and can't wait for more new chapters later. And then after it's finished. Um, also, the popularity, the views, the traffic's been there, and I think the publishing house can be more confident in making it into a paperback book and then promoting it in other markets. But then I think now a lot of the online literature in China is actually promoted after they are adapted into movies or TV series. There are tons and tons and tons of TV series that is gaining a lot of popularities in countries like Malaysia, Indonesia, the Philippines, and even South Korea and Japan. For example, I think by about a decade ago, *Zhen Huanzhuan: Empress in the Palace* is so popular around Asia, including these countries. And now I think also Netflix adapted into English, even though they have to cut down. Into only from seventy episode into only six or seven episodes. Okay. Yeah, that's because of the of course the cultural difference. I think, for example, audience in the United States can't really understand the story between the emperor and the empress in the Qing dynasty, and why are these women competing for this <laughs> emperor? That's quite a confusing for an American、mm-hmm. audience. But then, for a lot of people in Asia, it makes sense, and they can. Actually, relate to that story, and that TV series actually is adopted from an online literature many, many years ago. And I think we are seeing more of such example, like in recent years, the Qing Yunian, the、mm-hmm. Joy of Life, is also another example of how a TV series is helping the original work got published and got more popularity in overseas markets, and also Yufei or The Yufei or Bu Bu Jingxin, the Scarlet Hearts, and we have so many examples in this regard. And I think, yeah, sometimes the online literature helps with the popularity of the adaptation of the movies and TV series. And on the other hand, I also think movies and TV series is also helping these works to getting more readerships. Especially overseas. So, beginning with hard copy publications, and then move on to online platforms where people might have access to stories published and issued in in China、uh, through some procedures like translation and then authorization and uh, uh, all kinds of、uh, due process.、Uh, and then there's in recent years we're talking about the adaptation into TVs, films, and even animation products. And the latest, in fact, at this online literature week is that, in fact, many businesses they are introducing the business model or the ecosystem behind online literature to a entirely different market.、Um, for instance, here in China, there are companies like Tencent. They have their own online literature branch. It's called China Literature. Uh, and it owns Qidian, so it's one of the most、mm-hmm. influential、uh, platforms for online literature. So for Tencent or, or other big companies like IGE, what they do is they try to operate their own online literature platforms, while at the same time they use the IPs, the successful IPs, to uh, develop uh, new content like TV and film and animation, and perhaps even games. 
So this new business model of starting with online literature but ending with a matrix of products obviously is being introduced to the international market as well. And this, in fact, is quite interesting. And Josh, what's your view on the spread of online literature outside of China? I mean, this used to be a business quite influential in China and now it's working in overseas market. How do you see the prospect of competition with other means of entertainment such as short video, or in the case of the UK, Kindles, e-readers, or newspaper, playing newspapers. I think there is something particularly interesting about it, and I think that there is a market for it in the future. I think that I do, I do fear that it will take the place of the long-form traditional novel, which I think really should have a place in society, and I think that people should still uh, pursue the goal of reading a I, I've got to be honest what I think is a proper novel I think that um, reading books without all of these frills in my opinion all of these I mean I get it and I think there's nothing wrong with having a community I think that what online literature does you, you described it quite nicely as this sort of matrix of possible adaptations and it could be developed into different forms afterwards and I think that this also fosters a community around that universe right it's not really just a book at that point it's a universe of characters and maybe even different physical laws fantasies and people get really into that they get really lost in it and to make that interactive i guess that's really great and i think there's always going to be a market for that i mean just look at how incredibly successful the harry potter series has been and the spin-offs that have come from that didn't start as online literature but has definitely gone online afterwards in its own form and the Marvel Universe as well. I know, again, not necessarily a book, but it's a universe. And I guess that online literature offers that opportunity to make something that can basically be a cash cow that that never ends, right? It's the gift that keeps on giving, really, um, in, in terms of a, a lucrative business model. So, um, yeah, but I, I also am a bit skeptical as to how this will affect the traditional book, the novel, which I think that uh, really should... Uh, have a place in society still, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And Josh, you mentioned the Marvel Universe. Let me ask you a follow-up question. What are the chances of seeing mm. a competing rival uh, similar to Marvel Universe based on popular concepts in Chinese online literature? I mean, here, uh, because of the spread of online literature from China, we uh, get to know that uh, overseas audience sometimes take a keen interest into Taoist ideas, Taoist concepts and mm -hmm. stories. Do you see the prospect of, of having a, a Taoist world universe out there? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I, I think that one of the reasons that Chinese literature hasn't been popularized as much internationally and hasn't been um, re remade into massive um, mainstream movie franchises, etc., is just because of the language issue. But I think that things written in Mandarin Chinese are becoming more popular. I mean, one example is the three-body problem. I think that's probably the first piece of modern Chinese sci-fi in the last few decades, at least, that has really become popular in the West as well. I think a lot of people didn't even know that it's a Chinese novel uh, when they first heard about it. As soon as you start reading it, of course, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that a good story is a good story. I think that that transcends linguistic barriers. So um, absolutely, I think there's a possibility there. 
Mm -hmm. A good story is a good story, and that、mm. leads to my last question. I think we touched upon it at the very beginning, and that is, some professional writers who were previously focusing on getting their books published and making blockbuster and high-profile and even high-quality stories. They might look at online literature and somewhat dismiss it, and saying, "Oh, these are only things written for to make people feel good." I mean, to you know, I mean, there's not a lot of literary value in this.、Mm. But in fact, I'd like to get your opinion on this. I mean, do you see value, especially literary value, in what people write for the online literature entertainment? Well, I think you know. With of course, there are some novels up there online that's not really. Has a lot of value. They're just written according to the readers' thrills and the readers' desires. And I think that there are also some writers sharing that they have to write fifty to sixty thousand words a day to make a living. And of course, the works they produce under that pressure is sometimes questionable. But I also think with these online literature, it actually offers platforms to a lot of people who wants to write, but don't have the opportunity or have the channel to get published officially or. Like what established writers out there, and I think these online platforms are giving them ways to get published. And if, if they are really good enough, they are able to produce good stories. Why not? And I think, yeah, I, I would like to take the positive twist on these online literature. I think absolutely it does. I, I do believe that written form is written form. I think that it's probably more susceptible to、uh, things. Making it not less valuable to some degree in terms of it being shorter, having to appeal to shortening attention spans, things like social media, short video platforms taking over. I think this will, of course, have a bit of、um, a negative effect on it, possibly. But I still think that it holds value.、Mm -hmm. And the latest discussion at the Online Literature Week is that the. Use of AI in assisting the translation of online literature works, hopefully to reduce the burden and make things more efficient for this line of business. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up in the second half of the show, a girl's mockery of certain behaviors by the male gender has inspired more female internet users to join the crusade. Stay tuned for more discussion on Roundtable. I was born on the 17th of November. Delve into a world of words with Books and Beyond, a podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. I came into the world as the youngest of five children. I wondered what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon you, limpid one! Why have you taken? Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics. From the comfort of your own personal space, Sunzi underlined three points on the context game. There was、initiative. no better wine, and not to mention the. Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audio books will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audio book adventure now on radio.cgtn.com. Or your favorite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable. I'm Lai Ming, joined by Fei Fei in the studio and Joshua Cotterill on the line. 
Coming up, some female internet users are imitating typical behaviors of their male counterparts in the latest viral online challenge. Some of these behaviors that they are imitating are deplorable by any standard, while others range from ridiculous and to annoying. What are men's reactions to this mock fest? Will the criticism from their female perspective help the society become a better place? In fact, we all know what makes the society a better place. That is, better communication skills. There's plenty of self-help books on communication. How come there's always someone who can't seem to read the room and give the right comment at the right time? What are the principles that we must follow in communication to develop a friendly social bubble around us? We will share some tips in just a moment. If there's anything you'd like to share with us, remember you can always reach us via email at ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. Or if your goal is to help more people enjoy our show, make sure you give us five-star reviews to Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. Now on Roundtable, we men have a chance to go to school as the girls are fierce in portraying weird or questionable behaviors by men. This is all because of a. New online viral challenge that's going on like wildfire. Fei Fei, explain to us what what's really going on. When did this thing start? Okay, the first video I think popped up online begins with an influencer called Fang Tongming.、Mm-hmm. She posted a video imitating some of the gestures or expressions by boys or men, and it quickly got attention online. And the way she imitating these men are. Called "quote unquote" greasy man,、oh. yeah, and the the concept of greasy behaviors of these males are basically some kind of behaviors that are showing, trying to showing off the masculinity of this male person, or catcalling or whistling to another female to try to get her attention. Or to give her a really focused glare to make the females uncomfortable, and there are also, you know, some other behaviors. For example, a lot of other females are also posting such videos on, especially platforms like Douyin. Is like some men like to, you know, uh, uh, sort of. Touching on their chin and looking at the females as if they are really attractive, or some some men and like to showing off by imitating to shoot a basketball, some behaviors like that that the men considered as a show off, but then on the females would consider as quote unquote greasy behaviors. So at this point, the behaviors being captured or being portrayed or imitated are silly. In the least, or ridiculous, or somewhat strange in the eyes of the female gender, but then the thing snowballed a bit, right? Exactly. Especially now, I think a lot of people, both males and females, are starting to discussing or even debating about the concept of greasy men, of what constitutes a greasy man, and how to not really act. Greasy for men, and I think it sort of opens up this window or door for the two genders to be really talk and understand each other, especially when males are doing something, but without realizing these behaviors or these activities are making females uncomfortable. And I think these challenges sort of. Educating both genders, like why am I doing this, and why is it making me uncomfortable? 
Mm-hmm. And then when I said this thing snowballed, I mean、uh, more and more female internet users began imitating what they believe were unacceptable behaviors on the part of the male gender. And some of the examples might go so far as to indicate sexual harassment. For instance, somebody that's the superior in the office would approach a female employee and then try and touch them inappropriately. And so this thing snowballed to the extent that、uh, people now have a discussion about how men are being perceived in the eyes of the female. Josh, let me ask you that question. Have you seen any of the short videos or any of the mockery that? Are, that have become viral over the internet, and what is your understanding about this behavior? I've seen some of the videos. Yeah,、um, I think that the videos are the ones that I saw were okay. I mean, I guess the only people that would really be offended by them would be men that are doing it. I think. <laughs>、um, now I know that it has snowballed a bit, and one might argue that. It being so humorous and things like this might even make the topic that should be quite serious quite funny. But actually, I think that humor is very powerful. I think that humor has been shown again and again to actually send a really deep message because the idea of a joke, right, is that you have to use your mind to sort of work out the hidden message behind it. That's what a joke is, right? And everybody together, unified. Laughing together means that everybody's understood the joke. That's what it means, right? To get a joke, to understand it. So I actually think that it's quite smart to use humour to highlight a topic like this, and it might be might be one of the best ways to do it.、Mm-hmm. Do you feel refreshing to see stuff or men's behaviour in the eyes of the female? Because really, honestly, I've seen some of the videos of the girls mimicking the boys' behaviours. For sure, some of the behaviors I don't do. I, I never do them, but I do feel a little abashed from being a, a member of the gender who often are inclined to do things like that, like doing air slam dunk、mm. when there is not a basket around, and to show that <laughs> oh, I'm into sports, I'm I'm cool, and see girls around me, you should try and you no know, look at me <laughs> to get people's attention. You know these kind of behaviors. Yeah. Do you find it refreshing? Do you reflect on your own behavior after seeing mimicry of this? Um, I I think I maybe I would reflect on my my behavior a little bit, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that it's it's okay to have some self reflection sometimes, and I think that the real truth is is that most people know where the line is, and I think that there is quite a clear line here, and there's definitely a difference between pretending to dunk a basketball in front of the whole office and thinking that you look cool and just making a fool out of yourself, and obviously the line of sexual harassment. I I think there's a line there that's very different, right?、Um, and it's still funny, and、um, yeah, so. I I don't know if I find it particularly refreshing.、Um, I find it pretty humorous.、Um, yeah, but I'm sure that it's more tailored towards the female audience.、Mm-hmm. Right. I agree with you. In many cases, there is a clear line as beyond which you can be held responsible. For instance, acts of sexual harassment or sexual innuendo. I mean, there are laws, regulations against it. But there are also some cases or some of the behaviors that I find. In my own perspective, silly,、mm. but not exactly harmful, like doing 
make believe slam, slam dunk that <laughs> kind of thing. So my question is, I mean, to Feifei, I mean, you as a member of the female gender, do you think there's a gap of perception between the two genders? Like when boys don't even notice that they are behaving silly or ridiculously, the girls might find it、uh, even unac- unacceptable. Well, of course, I think there is a gap between, especially between females and males' perspective to certain things. For example, the air slam dunk. You know, how many times have seen, especially during high school. You know, boys <laughs> love to do that, and I just don't understand the point of it. But then, of course, I think a lot of the greasy behavior depicted on these videos are harmless. You can't really blame them for anything, but it's definitely not pleasant. To look at it, especially firsthand, and I think he's sort of giving a, a channel for the males to understand. You know, we don't consider it cool from the females' perspective. Thinking about, for example, a really bad pickup line that I don't think a lot of males understand that they are giving out pi- these. Bad pickup lines, unless <laughs> someone told them that this is bad, you shouldn't say this again. But then I don't think you know bad pickup lines is you know borderline wrong. But then on the other hand, like the other example you give, that some I think females replicating how a male superior conducts physical or verbal harassments, then I think is another story out there. But then I think. People would know this is wrong when, for example, a male superior is touching the female subordinate really inappropriately or saying things really inappropriately. I think people will notice, even regardless of gender. And also, if we look at the video, vice versa. For example, a female superior is saying things inappropriately to a male subordinate. It is still wrong, and I don't think that's really greasy men behavior. It's just wrong behavior. That's it. And then, but about the greasy men challenge up there on Douyin, I think it's it's not really wrong, but it's just we would appreciate if you don't do that in a daily basis, and especially when you are doing that, don't thinking you are showing off to another females. It's just we don't think it's attractive, and I think a lot of young men, especially high school boys. Didn't really realize that until such challenges pop up on the trending topics. Which is why I find it quite refreshing to see these imitation of male behavior by、uh, girls and and women over the internet. Oh, and also I think these are harmless behaviors. In fact, that we've just touched upon. But there are mildly annoying and borderline sexual harassment behaviors in the society. For instance. The girls have portrayed the acts by certain men of filming ladies without getting their approval,、mm. sometimes clandestinely. I mean, secretly filming them, sometimes even from under the skirt. So these are obviously inappropriate behaviors. And do you think,、um, by pointing out, by calling on these behaviors, we are changing the social etiquette a bit? When I'm saying this, because I tend to believe that maybe the average social etiquette we are seeing might have been formed over a long time in history, and the history where the male discourse used to be the predominant one, whereas the female discourse 
had somehow somewhat been tolerant. As a result, some people might feel it's okay to step out of the line a little bit.、Mm. But do you feel this is a positive move to see more and more female internet users speaking out and calling these behaviors? Yeah, I think that it is a positive move.、Um, I, I do, and I, I think that it's interesting that you mention the idea of the camera phone. I think that the camera phone has really changed a lot of things in society.、Um, I, I myself, to be honest, get filmed almost on a daily basis. People will point a camera and take a picture of me or film me, and you know, I that makes me feel uncomfortable. So I can't imagine. What it must feel like, I literally cannot because I'm not. I cannot empathise fully, but how it must feel like in the office to be filmed、uh, inappropriately like that. I mean, I think that it's a true violation of one's whole being, really. And then for it to be immortalised in a photograph, and then you don't know where that photograph could go, who's going to see it, and once it's up. In the cloud, in the internet universe, it maybe it's going to be there forever, right? And I think that that's really quite scary and just just horrible. So I I think that that's changed a lot of things as well, actually. Also, let's come back to the keyword greasy. Here in China, we often use、mm. the word greasy to describe men who don't care about their personal image, who are perhaps unkempt, who probably wash their hair once a week. Or yeah, but literally in, greasy. <laughs> yeah, but even in this regard, I think there's evolution of thinking. I mean, back in the days, perhaps for the older generation, it might have been okay to show up in the Beijing bikini, but nowadays, as we modernize, as we urbanize,、uh, we share the same space and we have a higher standard with regard to our personal image. Maybe Beijing bikini is not acceptable behavior. Do you see this evolution? Going further now that the female gender is contributing their own viewpoint as to what is appropriate personal image. Yeah, I definitely think so. Especially you know, growing up, there I think every female has encountered at least several times of some behavior from the male that's making them feel really uncomfortable. But on the other hand, the males don't didn't really realize you know that. Behavior is problematic. For example, some some of us have definitely been experienced that a male that looks at you up and down、mm-hmm. and sort of judgmentally, and then give you a comment, even though it's a complimentary. You know, maybe it's a nice dress or you have a really nice makeup on today. But it's still, I would appreciate if you don't look at me up and down first. But then I think gradually with. Discussions like this online or challenges like this on Douyin, I think the males are start to realizing, you know, it is not appropriate, not polite for me to do certain things, and I've especially noticed that among younger generations, especially those born after the 1980s and 1990s, and now especially for. People born in the two thousands, that we are seeing less and less young men start to do have these sort of behaviors, and there are also cases, for example, 
some males would deny there is actually a gender inequality in the society, and he thinks that the female has got the best they can ask for in the whole of history. And then, but gradually now, I think the younger generation are realizing and acknowledging that there are gender gaps, and of course, as Josh just shared here, that. Some of the females being experienced, you know, taking photos or videos by others without their consent, and of course, I think it's also a reminder for both genders that is also not okay for the females to take the photos and videos of males, for example, on a subway. I've actually seen those photos before on social media platforms, saying, you know, I just noticed someone really handsome on the subway, and like she, Joshua Carver. yeah, she took a photo and shared it online. And I think it's also not okay.、Uh, it's also a reminder for the females as well. So I think such challenges is not only an education for the males, but it's actually education. Opportunity for both genders to realize some things we do on a daily basis, and we took it for granted, is not appropriate for the other gender.、Mm-hmm. So, by and large, I look at this case, this viral challenge, as a positive thing、uh, because the female gender obviously is actively sharing their,、uh, making their own views heard, and changing the social discourse in this regard. But there's also the risk of aggravating this gender. Disagreement or gender—I wouldn't even want to use the word war—but gender rivalry that seems to be going on in any society around the world.、And、Josh, what would be your opinion on this? Do you fear this thing snowballing further and and spinning into something like a gender war? I'm not sure if a gender war has ever stopped. I think that it's been going on for quite a long time, actually. So I'm not sure if it's going to snowball into. Anything more? I think just from the male perspective, it seems like more of a gender war because、uh, males have been so dominant beforehand. I think that we're slowly but surely, and there are certainly ups and downs in this process. I think that women are getting、um, more recognition, and I think that gender roles are starting to become more balanced in society.、Um, and it isn't; it cannot happen without. Any sort of friction, it cannot happen without any sort of dialogue, and it's not going to be pretty. So, I think that something like this, the topic we're d- discussing today, at least at minimum, whatever you think about it, it is pushing us to have these very important dialogues. And I think that I would not consider that to be, I guess, a gender war of sorts. I think that's quite a positive thing. I think this is probably one of the the easiest ways to go about improving things. Oh well, I think yeah, there are certain members in both genders that are taking very defensive、uh, stands when it comes to topics surrounding genders, and I think the bottom line is, first of all, you have to be respectful for the other gender and to be understanding, really, because I think, for example, when we are talking about topics like the greasy man, of course, some of the behaviors, I think, it's feasible. For both genders to talk about certain behaviors, and maybe it's not appropriate to do it again. But then again, I think it's impossible for male to completely understand what a female is going through, and it also works by vice versa. It's also not impossible for a female to understand what a male is going through at the moment, and what are their struggles, and what are their advantages or disadvantages. And I think there is never. 
the only way to sort of close the gap a little bit more is to have more dialogues and discussions. Um, but of course, we have to acknowledge first that both females and males should be respected in this society. For example, I've heard certain females advocating that this concept that all males are bad, which I think is taking to the extreme of that right. concept. And I think that's really not respecting the males. And I think the males have also suffered and struggled a lot throughout the history. And now when we are talking about closing the gaps between the genders, it's not only beneficial to females, that females are feeling more empowered and getting more opportunities and more voices in the society. It also helps the males to actually... Don't look so silly. Yeah, be heard and uh, also start to realize what role they are, can actually play in this society. Right, you're listening to Roundtable. Up next, what can we do to improve our communication skills? Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. You're listening to Roundtable with me, Lai Ming, and Fei-Fei in the studio, as well as Joshua Caldwell on the line. We come to a very interesting and very useful topic, and that is communication. There's always this discussion on this claim that communication is everything. If you finish school and uh, end up in in office, I mean, this everything hinges on your communication skills. Sometimes, you know, so what in what ways? I mean, what are the principles that we should observe if we were to improve our communication skills? I'll begin with one example, and here is a ancient Chinese wisdom that is Jiao Tian Yan Shen. So don't talk in depth. When you are don't already have a very close relationship with someone, for instance, if you come across someone on a train, you are now supposed to tell them how much you earn and discuss politics with them. Maybe a nice discussion about whether.、Uh, Josh, do you have any basic wisdom or basic principles that everybody should know、uh, where you come from? Always begin with weather, right? With the weather, right? Yeah, no, of course.、Um, well, that is. That is small talk. That's British small talk. So actually, although that seems quite strange, in essence, it's no more than an icebreaker. It's it's no different to saying "nichelama," right? It's no different to that, really. It's sort of、um, a rhetorical question of sorts that just breaks the ice,、um, prevents awkwardness if one feels awkward at all in silence. So that's all it really is. Really, it's not that British people are obsessed with the weather. It's just. It's it's just how we make small talk,、um, and so yeah, that's what that means. But there are definitely a lot of things that people can do. I know that actually it may not seem like it because I most of my life is spent either talking into a microphone or no, it really is just talking into a microphone or to a, a crowd of people. But I'm actually not that confident when it comes to one-on-one -on -one communication with new people, and so I have to force myself to use a set of skills. That I've learned in order to overcome that kind of thing, and I'll tell everyone listening that communicating right now is way, way different to communicating in like a meeting room or something. And I've found that one of the best things—there's many things one can do—but one of the best things that I do is use something called active listening. And so this is where, you know, a lot of people 
don't actually listen. I don't think that most people are actually listening. And if you use active listening, which is basically to actually listen to what someone's saying, break it down. And then, for example, one technique is to use a follow up question that makes that person understand that you've acknowledged what they're saying. Little things like this. It can elevate the communication. It's not fake. It sounds like it's fake. Right. But doing this actually allows you to engage with that person and have a productive conversation of sorts, or if it's just a, a social context to get to know them a lot better and make everybody feel more comfortable. That's one thing. Let me immediately apply what you just introduced in practice, and that is, <laughs> let's begin with small talks. And it's just very nice weather we're having. And, and uh, Fei Fei, what's your opinion on well, female gender imitating um, male behavior? Let me try and apply what you've just introduced to us in our real conversation. So it's a very nice weather today we're having. And Josh, you just mentioned that we should、uh, try and practice active listening, isn't that? Well,、uh, well, for me, first of all, I think you know, small talks about the weather is really helpful, especially if you run into someone in the lift. The small talk about weather is small enough so you can finish your conversation when you are on your floor, and you don't really have to exchange. A lot because you you are not really that close, but then again, I think for a lot of people who want to improve their communication skills, I think one of the most important principle is to try to stay calm throughout the dialogue, especially when you are starting to have disagreement. And I think we've encountered many times that when some sort of disargument or disagreement start to arise, people will. Start to feel really, you know, rushed up, and start to feeling really emotional, and start to say things really defensive, and then that communication platform will evolve into some sort of a big argument, and then somehow you forget why you start this dialogue in the first place, and then in the end you basically didn't achieve anything throughout the communication, and I think when that happens. One thing is really important is to remind, to try to understand why the other part of the dialogue is having this kind of disagreement with you. Try to understand their point of view, and then to see if you can at least find a common ground. And that's what communication is for. Actually, you want to find a common ground instead of you know stuck in this argument. And then try to win the argument and didn't get anything done, and I think that's really important, especially in professional in workplace.、Mm-hmm. So one takeaway that I get from reading Liu Cixin's science fiction novels is that the human means of communication is so inefficient. If we were communicating by words, then we are creating content like by terabytes, like ten. Let's say the average people uses a hundred and fifty words a minute. So that was that. That's about seventy-five bits of data that you create in the interval of one minute. So it's quite inefficient. As a result, you should respect the time that is necessary to make your ideas across. Take your time. Take it easy. But also at the same time, human communication can be very efficient in the sense that we are not only relying on verbal communication; we are also using our body language, our accents, and intonations. So, try and take all of this into consideration. I know it's hard to begin with, but、uh, well, you have a lifetime to learn, so don't worry. 
And that's it for our discussion today on Roundtable. Thank you for listening, and it's been a wonderful discussion with you two, Pei Fei and Joshua. Thank you, thank you, and bye bye. <laughs>